lot of us are feeling uncertain right now about a treatment for the virus, the health of friends and family, uncertain about our jobs, paying bills, and in some cases, our ability to retire. How are we supposed to respond to this kind of uncertainty? These messages from Cornerstone will point to our certain hope in Christ. Cornerstone, welcome to this second part in this series. He's still got the whole world in his hands, and we've come to a time where our certainty cannot be based on our circumstances. We've come to a point in time where the gospel really is good news. And times are uncertain, but God is not. So I just want you to turn to whoever's sitting in the room with you and say these words. He's still got the whole world in his hands. He's still got the whole world in his hands. We've come to this very unique time in world history. And one uh, movie marquee puts it this way, the whole world is temporarily closed. And I, it might seem that way, uh, but there's a lot of good that can come out of this great pause that we're experiencing right now in the world. Uh, Blaise Pascal says that all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit in a room quietly with God. So let's embrace our humanness that we are not in control, but God is. Uh, this huge interruption in our lives give, gives God space that he didn't have necessarily before. So when we see these kinds of moments in history, there are usually a few things that lead up to them and some things that follow this past week, I was studying the Great Depression in the 1920s and the, in the 1930s. Uh, looking back in history, were there other moments like this that happened uh, in America? And in, in the 1920s, there was an abundance of product. Uh, most Americans were overextended in debt and credit in buying product. And there was an abundance of greed on Wall Street, which led to the crash, the stock market crash, and then the depression that followed. But what happened in the 30s were large tent revivals scattered out throughout the country where so many peoples whose lives had been interrupted by this financial collapse were turning to God who hadn't done that before. And so uh, when we look back at 9-11, uh, there was a spike in church attendance for several months after 9-11. And so there were many people who uh, came back to church after that. Not everyone stayed, but some did. And so here we are experiencing this worldwide pandemic brought on by this evil virus, and the world seems temporarily closed. But God will transform this moment into lasting good. This crisis creates a great pause to seek God and discover something about ourselves. In this quiet and difficult time, life pauses long enough 
for God sometimes to have a rare opportunity with us. So pay attention. Pay attention. Give Him your undivided attention in this moment. Whenever there's some big crisis, some big upsetting moment, it usually causes us to pause and put down everything else and listen to God. A, a friend of mine who's passed away, a preacher, uh, his name was Tom Postel, um, he was a survivor of the airline flight 232 that crashed uh, in, uh, in Iowa. And, and so uh, this plane, when it, take, when it had taken off, uh, lost uh, in flight, lost all but one engine. So uh, Tom seated in the middle part of this aircraft, and he said they mapped out a flight pattern of circles from where they took off to where they would land. And so they had one approach to land. And uh, during these several hours of moving to this abandoned airstrip in Iowa, through the air, making these large circles, Tom said that nobody was on their blackberries. Nobody was watching the in-flight movies. Tom stood up and announced that he was a preacher, and he presented the gospel to everybody on in his section. And you know what? They all listened. And uh, something else, people were making confessions. People were talking about their lives. People were talking about their relationship with their family and with God. People were talking about their fears of death. People forgot all about the other distractions in their life. And we're focused in on God and His presence in that moment. When that plane crashed in a, in, a, in a cornfield in Iowa, it broke into three pieces. Everybody in that middle section that Tom was with survived. They all walked out of a broken aircraft that had fallen thousands of feet from the air. You don't think God's in the middle of our messes, in the middle of our crisis? You can guarantee that He is. And he wants our attention. And sometimes, as we all know, that there's a moment that we've all probably experienced where a crisis came uh, into our lives. And in that moment, we really looked up to God. So, so I, I just want you to think about like the, the moments that maybe some of you have had where God, your life was interrupted by some job loss or some relationship uh, ending or some uh, financial uh, crisis. And, and it caused you to, to look up to God. And he had all your attention. This uncertainty is causing a lot of people to look to the good father to settle the spiritual disturbance that exists within their hearts. So I, what we're going to do today is we're going to turn to one of the most inspirational passages uh, uh, that we can find in the New Testament about a crisis. It's Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to look at Paul who's in a crisis himself, but you can't tell that about his writings. But uh, his life has been put on pause because he sits uh, in a Roman uh, house arrest prison, if you will. Paul writes under this house arrest experience from Rome to the church at Philippi. And this great pause on his life is how we, co how we ha come to have this awesome letter. So this Philippian church, first church that existed in Europe, uh, what we call present-day Kavala, Greece. Uh, Paul is writing this letter to encourage these saints. And the reason that Paul is writing from house arrest in Rome is because his uh, imprisonment began three years prior to this. It began in Jerusalem 
when Paul was preaching the gospel in the temple area and there's a great riot against his words about Jesus, uh, the, the, the Roman uh, centurions took him into their custody, really to prevent him from being killed by the mob. And as he explains to them that he is also a Roman citizen and he makes an appeal to Caesar for Caesar, the, the most powerful man in the world, to hear his defense, really his defense of the gospel, uh, uh, this is what sets in motion Paul's trek to Rome. So there are two, there's, a, there's an entire year where Paul is traveling there, and he goes through shipwreck, and he winters at Malta, the island Malta, and then he finally gets to Rome where he's in house arrest for two years, and this is one of the letters he writes uh, during that period of time. And so uh, Paul will remain uh, in prison until he's led out of prison uh, to the Ocean uh, uh, Road where he will be beheaded. Uh, and, and so that's somewhere around 66 AD, we think. But what we're about to read is a man who's experienced great hardship and a man who not too many days from the time he finishes this letter, his life will end in death. And so uh, his life has been completely upended, and uh, he's not fretting about it. He's actually writing profound words of encouragement and instruction to the church. And so here's how it begins, Roman, or Philippians 4.1. My brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long to see for my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. First, before we just go any further into this text, I just love what Paul says here because it relates to where, what you're feeling, what I'm feeling is Paul is longing to see his brothers and sisters in Philippi. And that's how I am right now. I know that's how probably all of you are right now. You're longing to see one another. And one day soon, hopefully not too far away, we'll be able to embrace one another and to uh, you know, uh, say hello and, and, and catch up on what's been going on. But uh, that's, this is Paul's heart right here. He's, he's just missing them badly. And then he gives them this, this, this instruction. It's an imperative command. He says, stand firm. The Greek word is stako. Just like you'd put a stake in the ground. You stand firm. You hold your ground. It has a military flavor about it. You know, Paul being surrounded by all these Roman guards uh, through his experience. Uh, and so Paul says, uh, I, I want you to stand firm, and I'm going to tell you four things that you need to do to stand firm. And so he begins in verse 2, he says that I, I want you to live in harmony. And then he, then he, he talks about giving praise to God in, in, in all types of circumstances. And then in verse 8, he talks about dwelling on good and perfect things. We're not going to talk about all of that. We're just going to focus in on uh, verses 4 through 7. And so we read in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. To understand here what Paul is telling us about rejoice, I just want you to take out the Lord always and, and put in your own things that you might rejoice in. Like, for instance, um, rejoice in a pay raise, always. Rejoice that she called you back, always, right? Rejoice that you graduated, always. Uh, you know, rejoice that they find a cure for COVID-19 always. Like, we get it. We get it when we, there's something we love, something that happens to us that's so good. We're going to rejoice about it. We're going to talk to people about that. We're going to uh, express how much we're excited about that event to take place in our life. 
And so we know what it means to rejoice about something. Paul says, I want you to rejoice about what God has done in your life, what the Lord has done in your life. And the reason we need to do that is because it helps us stand firm. So our intellect is always ahead of our emotions when it comes to these things, in my experience. This is why we spend about 15 to 20 minutes in singing praises to God in worship. One of the reasons why. Our emotions need to catch up to the knowledge that we have about God. I don't know about you, but uh, when I, after I, I'm singing some worship songs, I begin to really dig in to the, to the, to the rejoicing part of my relationship with God. Um, some people uh, don't need to sing. Uh, some do. Uh, my wife, whenever she tells her testimony, whenever she talks about the Lord working in her life, she tears up immediately. Then I start to tear up, you know, and I'm just like, man, you know, she's talking about how good God is to her and how he, you know, brought her out of this and... And, you know, I'm kind of tearing up. I'm not that spiritual. I mean, I'd like to be, but I'm, I'm, one day I'll, be, I'll catch up to my wife on this. But my, my point is this, that, that, that we, when we, our emotions, they have to be, come into this whole part of, of rejoicing. And, and that's not easy to do. And, and, and Paul says, you need to express what God has done in your life and dwell on that. Think about this good thing. And this will help you stand firm. And then next, he challenges us with this. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. I wish Paul would have helped us out a little bit here. I wish Paul would have said something like, let your cynical attitude be evident to all. Right? But he doesn't say that. You know, he doesn't say, let your braggadocious spirit be evident to all. But he doesn't say that. What Paul says is, let your gentleness, the word could be translated reasonableness. It could be translated a kind and tolerant attitude to outsiders. He says, what Paul is saying here is that don't let your, these difficult times destroy your witness among people. Don't let, it, don't, don't let your character be destroyed in, these, in this difficult moment, in this crisis that you might be experiencing. You know, the people who follow us on social media, they're watching. The children in our home, they're listening. The neighbors and outsiders that watch us, maybe, they're judging. We're being watched. And so during this time, a lot of attention is paid to people's actions, maybe more so than when times are normal. So don't let these tough times diminish your witness for Christ. Too often we allow our circumstances to determine our kindness factor towards others, right? When life is good to me, I will be good to you. But when life is tough on me, it becomes an excuse to be tough to you. Like that's that's what it that, that's often how we operate. Paul's like, don't do that. Let your gentleness, which is which is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Right? We ask for it. We begin to manifest that in our lives. And, and that becomes the, the evidence that we want people to, 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 to see in our lives. So Paul is saying, don't let your circumstances control you. You're in control of the decisions and the attitudes that you have, no matter what your circumstances are. God has given us the ability. It's the Holy Spirit who lives within us to do that. 
And every crisis creates an opportunity for us to take hold of the Lord who is right beside us. The Lord is near, Paul says. And so then Paul says this. Don't be anxious about anything. In other words, Paul says, don't worry about it. And you say, oh, great, Paul. Hadn't thought about that. Hadn't thought about not worrying about it. Don't you just want to slap somebody when they say, don't worry about it, be happy. You lost your job. Don't worry. You know, your, your child has been diagnosed with a terminal illness. Don't worry. Don't, you know, no, that's not the kind of words we want to hear. But Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. I looked up the word anything. You know what it means? Exactly. Anything. Paul says, don't worry about anything. So why does he say this? Well, think about what Jesus taught us. Jesus taught us that God is taking care of the sparrows. He's taking care of creation around us. Do you not think that God is paying attention to his image bearers? That's us humans. And, and so God is caring for us. God will certainly care for us if he cares for the sparrows, right? But Paul doesn't leave us there. He gives us the ability uh, 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 and, the, and, the, and the facts uh, and, and the actions to take on not to, why not to worry? He gives us a prescription of what to do when we are suffering anxiety and worry. He says, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, we're troubled by what happens in our lives. We should not brood about it. We should focus in prayer. Every time we worry, it should be a reminder to bend our knees and pray. Every trial is intended by God to increase our faith and, and to trust in Him completely. James 1.3, the testing of your faith produces endurance. So our anxiety reminds us to pause and pray. So you might be saying, hey, preacher, I've been praying a lot. I pray all the time. I'm just, you know, I pray about all kinds of things. I, the other day, I couldn't find my car keys. Hey, God, help me find my car keys. This isn't the type of prayer we're talking about. It's not wrong to pray about those types of things, but Paul is taking us to a level of prayer that, that, that most people don't get to right off the bat. It takes a while to get to this. We're going to look at four words found in this passage of Scripture, Philippians 4, 6, that are very important and break them out just a little bit. So Paul says petition. This is the esis, and it means to give a passionate plea it's not a casual request it's a prayer it's a prayer request given to god that that it comes from deep within like you're you're pouring out your insecurities about this situation you're giving this passionate plea and then uh, the next word is thanksgiving eucharist so this is the the word of, of showing appreciation uh, showing an appreciation before God. So it's with an attitude of appreciation uh, that we know that we're talking to someone who can do something about the situation that we find ourselves in. And then, he's, then he uses the word present, which is atima, which means to demand something from someone in authority, to demand that, God, I need you to do something. You're the only one that can do something about it. And then the word request here is gnosrizo. I think I pronounced that right, which I, my Greek's getting rusty, but it means to make known. In other words, you bring it up from deep within and you make it known to God. So 
So again, this, is, this isn't about just informing God. This is about having an important conversation with God. This is about discovering for yourself what you really fear and what you are really after. This is discovering about yourself what your deepest desires are and what you're most afraid of and revealing that to God. Look, prayer isn't informing God about things. It's discovering your fears, discovering your desires, and discovering who your counselor is. God already knows what you need. He already knows that. It's not going to be news to him. What Paul is talking about here is moving beyond the, you know, Lord, help me find my car keys prayer, to moving to a prayer that is going deep down inside of us. And so uh, one of the upsides to all this uncertainty is it reveals our deepest insecurities. It reveals our deepest desires because when life is very uncertain, we begin to really take stock of what is most important to us and, and, and begin to act towards keeping those things safe, right? Uh, and so prayer is, it, what the prayer Paul's talking about here is, is to become transparent before God, to really reveal yourself before Him, to have an honest conversation with your Father. This is what Jesus did. When Jesus comes to the woman at the well in John 4, He has this honest, intimate conversation with a woman who's so very broken. And she does not try to lie about it. She talks about, uh, she talks about her insecurities with the Lord, and the Lord talks to her. They have this honest conversation. And, and, and throughout Jesus' ministry, we see him uh, dealing with people one at a time. God wants to deal with us. Honest conversation. It's going to take some time. And so prayer is coming to God and expressing these deepest needs, our deepest fears, and understanding that he's the great counselor that we all need. And when we do this, we're promised something. And Paul says this in Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul could have argued before God in prayer. He could have said, you know, I don't want peace. I want to be released. Paul could have said, I don't want to be in Rome. I want to go home. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says he's praying that, uh, that, that his deepest needs would be made known to God. And, and, and he's doing that. And he's encouraging us to do that. And so, so Paul presents peace here as a soldier. Soldiers are surrounding Paul. It's a, it's, a, it's, a great, it's a great metaphor. It's a great tool of illustration that Paul uses here. He says... There's a soldier watching over us when we pray like this. There's a promise that comes. And so the reason that we have all this anxiety and we have all this worry, it, it, it attacks us is because we've not invited God's soldier to watch over our hearts. We're asking God to guard over our jobs. We're asking God to guard over the economy. We're asking God to guard over our children. God says, no, don't ask for that. Ask that I will guard over your heart. This soldier, this promise uh, uh, is, is, is standing sentry to everything that comes to assail us and destroy us. And so when the world is shaking, we won't be shaken because we have God guarding over us. And others will marvel 
at our composure. I remember uh, the first time that I experienced a, a company-wide shutdown threat. Uh, I remember coming into work, and uh, it wasn't long after I had been a Christian, and, and I had been getting some mentoring, some coaching about praying in such ways like this, about the insecurities, about the fears of all this taking place. And one of my coworkers came to me, and, and he said, aren't you upset about what's going on? And I, and I confessed. I said, look, man. I'm concerned about it, and I don't know what's going to happen in the, in the months to follow, but here's what I know. God is watching over me. And, and it just blew him away. He just couldn't fathom that I wasn't all tore up. I got a call on the way here today uh, about uh, a guy was telling me, uh, asking how I was doing, and he was sharing about how he was doing. And he said, you know, a year ago before I accepted Jesus, this would have tore me up. But he says, I am not to worry. I have my friends who are calling me, and they can't understand why I'm calm about all this. Uh, why, he's, not, he's, he's not in work right now because his job has stopped, but, but, but he's calm about this because he knows God is watching over him, watching over his heart. Look, C.S. Lewis put it this way. He says, prayer isn't about changing God. It's about changing me. Prayer isn't about changing God. It's really not even about changing the circumstances that we're in. Really, prayer is about changing us, for us to adapt, transform, grow, to meet the circumstances that we find ourselves in. So here's what to do. Here's how you put this into practice. Here's where the practical step comes. You pray this way. Good Father, I need. You express your deepest need, your deepest request to Him. And then you follow that with, and I'm afraid that if this doesn't happen, then this is what the outcome's going to be. So you begin with what's stressing you out the most, and then you follow that with your fear about if that doesn't happen. Father, I need to go back to work because I'm afraid if I don't, we're going to lose the house. That's it. Now we're getting honest. Now we're expressing to God our deepest fear and our deepest desire. Father, I need strength to overcome my addiction because I'm afraid if I don't, I'm going to lose my family and lose it all. You see, our fears parallel our deepest requests, our deepest needs. And, and just show me your fear, and, I, and I, can, I can find a way back to what your deepest request and desire is. And so in this uncertain time, God is a unique opportunity in our life to come to Him in this prayer intimacy and open up a, a new level of relationship with the Father in heaven. A crisis always creates a great pause for us to seek God and discover something about ourselves and Him. Pray until the peace comes. Look, many of us have been through a crisis and we don't want to go through it again, but all of us who've been through a crisis, walking with Jesus say, I never would have learned that had it not been for that time. And so uh, this is a time of a great pause in our life that, that God wants us to discover a deeper relationship with Him. So I'm going to close in prayer right now. Pray with me. Father, I know that there are some listening here today that uh, just this is a reminder for them of a past desperate time when they developed a relationship with you. Maybe they found salvation or maybe they found rescue. 
But Father, I know for others this is a step into a brand new experience. I know there are people who struggle being transparent before other people and also being transparent before you. But Lord, help us be vulnerable before you to express our deepest fears and also express our deepest desires. And in this great pause, we will begin to find your help until the peace comes, until the sentry stands over our hearts. Father, help us to pray until the peace comes. Amen, amen, and amen. Thank you for joining us. You can find us on the web at cornerstonechatham.org.